Welcome to the Relationship Ask It Basket Workshop. My name is Maria. I am a compulsive overeater and the moderator for this meeting. Please join Hi family. Please join me with the Serenity Prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, we want to ask that you turn off your cell phones and electronic devices. To protect our anonymity, no photographic or visual recordings are allowed. The options expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. And Ask It Basket is going to be circulated for the questions and answered portions of this meeting. This meeting is being taped. If you enjoyed this workshop, we encourage you to stop by the tape table to order copies of this workshop or any other meetings. They are available on CD or as an electronic download. Workshops. The format of this meeting is as follows. Two speakers will share for 25 minutes each, followed by 25 minutes ask it and answers. The topic of this meeting is relationships. Our first meeting, our first meeting, our first speaker is Paul. Please help me welcome Paul. Hi, I'm Paul. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, everybody. Let me just pass this back to you. Thanks. Okay, I'll pass my pictures around. I'd like to get them back because I don't have too many pictures of me when I was uh, at my top weight, which I was in those pictures. I was 318 pounds. Um, um little background, I guess. Um, I celebrated 24 years of abstinence this past May 7th. And I'm keeping 115 to 120 pounds off. Um, I, I just say that so I guess it's so people know that the program can work. It's, um, relationships, it's kind of it's kind of wild that I'm talking in front of a relationship uh, group because uh, I came from, you know, can, everyone can hear me, yes? Okay, so um, you know how we all say we came from a dysfunctional home? Uh, I came from a dysfunctional home also, but I've come to understand that um, I'm really saying that my family relationships were off. I grew up knowing that there was something wrong with my family. There was something wrong with me. And since I've been a kid, I've been looking for the truth of the universe to fix myself and to fix my family. And um, I didn't know it was the thing that I was looking for was to figure out how to relate to people in a, in a sane way rather than in the way that um, I, really, I was related to. In my family, I, we related in a way... <clears throat> 
that helped me come on character defects. For instance, if I showed up and told the truth to my mother or father, then I would either get in trouble or there would be some bad consequence to that. And as a result, I learned to lie. I learned to hide things. I learned uh, not to show up. When I, um, I learned to be argumentative, just as uh, to take as a principle. Um, I developed a lot of character defects. And um, when I look back at it, it's because God wasn't in my life. And that um, if we truly, if we, it's my experience that if I want good relationships, then I have to include God in the relationship. I remember coming in, I was, uh, when I came in, I was 38 years old. I've been in program for 27 years, but I, I didn't get this abstinence for a while. And um, I remember I was divorced. I was 38 when I came in, and I was, I was looking long-term relationships. And um, my sponsor told me right away, you know, he, he told me, um, there is no dating until you're a year at goal weight. And, um, and I'm not just going to cover um, romantic relationships. I don't think, I'm not sure what the intention here. That's certainly a big part of it, romantic relationships. But the relationship that I have with myself and with God are really the primary ones. And I developed them um, due to the gifts of my character defects. I wasn't, um, you know, before I came into program, I studied my religion three or four nights a week for ten years. And I was trying to find that truth of the universe. I, was, I thought that the answer was spiritual. And, um, and I studied my religion. I got a lot of, a lot of facts but I didn't get wisdom. And um, I was working overseas and I hired a recovering alcoholic without realizing he was a recovering alcoholic. He was an electrician. But I hired him and um, after, this was April, in, I mean, this was August of 83. After a week of being in the office, I asked him what kind of a spiritual program he was following. And he said he was following the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous. He gave me a big book and a 12 and 12, and he started taking me through the steps um, for, my, for drug and alcohol use. I found that I'm a periodic alcoholic, and I'm also, uh, I mean, I smoked dope for 20 years, so I guess I qualify as a drug user. But um, but he took me through the steps right away. and. Um, and what I found was that as a morbidly obese person, I was a pretty happy guy if I was losing weight. So, I mean, I didn't have bad feelings when I was losing weight. I had good pay. When I got under 300 pounds, I was kind of excited. And um, as I got down and losing weight and shedding clothes and um, feeling more like a human being, then uh, I was still excited. And I didn't really have, I was on a pink cloud, I guess you'd call it. And then, uh, oh, about a year, year and a half ago, wait, I started to get feelings. Um, you know, terror and anger. And, um, and, and I'd start to get hungry at times when the good time, you know, when the pink cloud went away. Then I'd get hungry and it wasn't feeding time. And I'd call my sponsor and I'd say, 
hey Bill, it isn't feeding time and I'm hungry. You know, um, what should I do? You know, what's going on? And he'd say, oh, uh, this is Sunday night? Yeah. You're going to court tomorrow? I said, yes. Well, maybe you're afraid. Oh, maybe I'm afraid. So I sat on the couch because he told me I should sit on the couch with my feelings. And I sat with, oh, I'm not, this is afraid. It feels like hunger, but it's fear. And that uh, next time I get hungry, maybe I'll check to see if I'm afraid of something. And um, what I've, abstinence pushes me into, uh, I'm a problem person. It doesn't matter what's going on in my life, I have a problem. The easiest thing was, like when I was 318 pounds, didn't have a thought of uh, the possibility of dating, that was a problem. But when I got and lost my weight, then it was like, what color socks should I wear? You know, I mean, I don't know, what clothes should I wear? You know, um, I had a problem if I was going to ask somebody if uh, out. She was either going to say yes or she was going to say no. If she said yes, I had a problem. Where was I going to take her? Was she going to like me? If she said no, I had a different problem. It didn't matter what was going on. I had a problem with everything in my life. And as my life got bigger, which it did when I got smaller, then I had more and more problems. Um, uh, you know, the reason I was told that I shouldn't date for a year at goal weight was that I don't process emotions well. You know, I was told that, um, you know, the, if you want a relationship, have a commitment to abstinence, don't eat no matter what, and then go to meetings and work the steps. And if you do that, I guarantee you, you'll find relationships. It's, I mean, that's my experience. That's how I found relationships. I wasn't going to eat. I was going to let the feelings kill me. And then I had to figure out how to deal with the feelings in a different way rather than eating. My sponsor really, uh, you know, the, one of the most important things he told me was that it's an ism. It's not just the food that's the problem. For me, I have, I'm, I'm, I'm an addictive kind of guy, and I can lose it with alcohol, drugs, food, spending, sex, gambling, workaholism. If I'm using any of these things to change my mood, I'm not clean and sober. So, you know, um, I have to stress, you know, it's, it's, it's about willing to stay clean and sober. It's about willing to deal with the feelings and deal with the discomforts that come up with it in every aspect of my life. Because every aspect of my life is a problem. And it's not just the dating part. I mean, I, um, I got divorced. Um, my parents weren't role models that I wanted to replicate. I grew up saying to myself, I'll never do that like them. Never. And then I found myself doing it like them. And I, I was beside myself. I had no idea how to parent. I didn't have a model that I wanted to emulate. And every day I had to go parent in a way that was unfamiliar to me. Every day I had to ask God for help to show up and do the next right thing, to try and show up and be myself. That was the one thing that I told my kids, you know. My father died before I got into program, and I really never knew him. He never talked to me about real things. My mother doesn't, or didn't, she's gone too now. <sighs> <I, whatever. laughs> 
I don't want to start problems. And so, um, where was senior moment here? So, oh yes, I didn't know my father. My mother doesn't want to talk real stuff to me. And so it was, I told my kids, I said, you know, showing up, I, I want to show up and be myself. I'm going to tell you what I'm thinking and feel, feeling all the time. And I'm kind of new at it, so if you think I'm crazy, that's okay. But when I'm dead, you're going to know who I was, even if you think I'm crazy. And I'd have to show up and try and tell my truth in a way that, um, you know, I'd have to ask God for help just to say what was going on in my life, you know. It was... Um, and, I, and you have to do this day at a time, day at a time, day at a time. And then when you look back, I look back 20 years, things are, uh, you know, things worked out better than I could have hoped. But it was, um, each day was a difficult thing. It goes, so there I am, I'm, I'm in my pink cloud, everything's wonderful. When you're losing weight, everything is wonderful. And um, because I used to think, you know, if only I had lost some weight. Everything would be wonderful. Well, it was for a while. And um, and then I had to deal with these feelings. I had to, um, well, first I had to deal with, I had to deal with God. I mean, as I, I'm Jewish. I was living in Madrid, Spain. I uh, had a problem taking the train to work. It felt like I was on a train that took Jews to the camps, you know. And the third step, when I was told what the third turn my life and my will over to the care of God, oh, are you kidding me? I said, I've read some of the commentaries of the people who went up and smoked. They were better people than I was, more spiritual, whatever you want to call them. And if that was God's will for them, that they should go up and smoke, I didn't want to know what God's will for me was. So part of developing a relationship with God was coming to grips with the Holocaust. You know, it was just trying to figure out how I was going to work the steps. When I would tell this to my sponsor, um, he, he would tell me that I had to find a way to work the steps. It's an experiential program, and it isn't about an intellectual test. I don't get to take a test on uh, Friday, and if I pass the test, everything is wonderful. It's like learning to play tennis. You can read the book, but you've got to get out there and play a little if you want to know how to play tennis. And so, um, for me, my conception of a higher power is that, is that there are <clears throat> universal spiritual laws, just like there are universal physical laws. If I'm at the edge of a 20-story building roof looking down, I should pray to ask God that I don't step too near the edge. Because when I'm over the edge, it's too late to pray. You know, because God isn't going to save me when I'm falling 20 stories to the pavement. And so I have to understand that if I'm going to try and jump off the building and expect God to save me, it isn't going to necessarily work. So there are, there are ways of being in the universe that I think are just as powerful as the law of gravity. And what this program helps, what it feels like to me, is what this program helps me do is get more in tune with the spiritual laws of the universe. Ah, yes. So... So I guess I should be grateful to all my character defects because I'm not normally one who thinks of asking God into my life. I'm not, uh, it's just not my habit. But when I'm hurting, 
when I when I could feel the powerlessness over my food, that's what got me into that's what got me closer to God. Was the fact I couldn't stop eating. Well, actually, I, I wanted to get better, not just I couldn't stop eating. I just wanted to be fixed. I had everything that I wanted. I had a wife, two kids, two cars, a house. Um, and my life was miserable. I was a miserable person. And uh, so anyway, my sponsor, you know, I'm going to have to ask God for help. I know I'm powerless over this food stuff. And um, I was able to put alcohol down without a problem. I was able to put smoking dope down without a problem. But the food was really uh, a powerful, uh, it was something that wasn't easy to put down for me. Still not easy. I could not be hungry at lunch and start eating lunch and then wonder, is this going to be enough? You know, I mean, it's just, it's insidious. But um, you know, I have what's called the 80/20 rule. You know, 80% of my problems are caused by 20% of my character defects. When I look back now, you know, those 20% of my character defects that caused 80% of my problems all generated when I was a young kid. They're all coping mechanisms from when I lived in my family. And um, they're ingrained in me. Ten minutes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Don't have time. Um, they're deeply ingrained, and I have to continually work on them. Um, I, they come up and they become problems for me and I continually have to ask God for help to deal with them. And it's through that that I've learned, I've developed a relationship with God. It's through asking to do the next right thing. Uh, for instance, with the IRS, I would, uh, not that I got in trouble, but if I got a letter from the IRS, I didn't, I, the old way of dealing with things was to procrastinate. And I'd get the letter out and it maybe it wouldn't be in time, right, to respond, but it maybe it was a nothing response. When I was in recovery, what I would have to do is I would ask God to help me take the IRS envelope out of the mailbox and put it on my desk. That's all I had to do today. Next day, I'd ask God to help me open the IRS envelope. That's all I had to do today with the IRS. The next day, Read it. That's all I had to do was read the letter. But I had to ask God to do that in the beginning. I was a really fearful kind of guy. And so I, um, and then I'd open it and I'd find, well, I had a month to answer a simple question. And I would have wasted a month sweating it out. It's, um, but I couldn't in the beginning do anything without trying to include God into it. And that's what, that was really helpful. Um, asking God, my, one of my first prayers was I would pray before I eat and I'd, I'd ask God to help me not eat like an animal. And uh, I found that I didn't have to eat like an animal. I remember one time my sponsor told me I should start sharing at meetings. And I said, well, and when I got back from Europe, I said, why would anyone want to share at a meeting, you know? And he'd say, because they feel better afterwards. So I... I OA in San Francisco used to be bigger. Uh, that's where I'm from. And... Uh, so next day, I go to a meeting, 150 people, speaker, I mean, a, a microphone and a Diaz, and uh, I waddle up from the back. Hi, I'm Paul. I'm a compulsive overeater, and I don't like speaking in front of people. And I waddle back to my seat, 
and everybody clapped. And I felt better. And I found that if I ask God to help to do the next right action, that I get to feel better. I've invited God into my life around a whole bunch of other things. But since I've got such limited time to talk, the one that I think relationships, um, it's really about, in, oh, I'll get into a romantic relationship. It's, um, it's about, I'm a spiritual person and I'm a physical person. And it's about trying to take my physical behavior or my, my, yeah, my physical behavior and try and elevate it to a level of spiritual uh, holiness is what my religion would call it. It's to elevate my, my um, behavior to a level of holiness. So trying to elevate my level of eating to a level of holiness so that we're, uh, there's, there's flowers on the table and there's, um, I read spiritual things before I eat and that when I eat, I try and connect it with the thought that perhaps some of this energy could go to serving God as whatever that is. And um, so so here I am. I lost my weight. I didn't date until a year and eight months afterwards and uh, I went on my first date. And I'm driving down... What's that? Not Van Ness. It's... Uh, Market. Thank you. I'm driving... You've heard this before. <laughs> I'm driving down Market Street, heading towards the ferry building, and I'm looking to take a left. I'm with my date. We went to a, a movie, and we were going to get something to eat. And I'm waiting to take a left, and there's no lefts all the way to the ferry building. And I, oh, I can't take a left here. So I drive to the next one. Oh, I can't take a left here either. I go to the next one. Oh, I can't take a left here. I'm sitting and waiting, and then I, and I say, you know, i got to take you home. And uh, it's got nothing to do with you, you know. What it was is that um, I grew up in a house where I, I wasn't emotionally available as a kid. I just stunted. You know, I, my growth was stunted. Um, I couldn't show up and tell my truth. I really wasn't in touch with feelings. So I had to learn how to process them. I learned how to process them by doing a fourth and a fifth step. I learned how to process them by making amends. I learned how to process them by doing ten steps. So I had to take her home and write a 10 step because I didn't know what was going on. I thought I was like mentally ill or something. I was. <laughs> and um, so to make a long story short, I used to, there's an expression, my sponsor was an AA guy and he'd say stuff like, that's not approved in OA. He'd say like, stick with the winners. And so I would, I would hang out with people who were abstinent and who were reading and writing 10 steps to each other. And, um, and they're willing to die rather than eat. And uh, one of these is, uh, was, was my best friend. Uh, should be the next speaker. And I was kind of a lonely guy. I didn't have a lot of friends at the time. She was my best friend in that I had a desk job and people could call me and read their 10 steps during the day. And, I, and uh, she was one of the people who would be reading the 10 steps. And so I got to... Sh so there we were. I wasn't attracted to her uh, romantically. I just loved her program. I thought she was a spiritually beautiful person. And, um, and we didn't go to the same meetings often. We'd see each other once in a while, but we talked all the time. And um, I, I, all of a sudden I realized that I wanted to uh, maybe date her. And previously, you know, um, 
any of our character defects are just like how we work the food. I work the food around the food plan. I work my romantic relationships around the purity of intent plan, meaning that I just don't jump in and do, you know, I don't go to a buffet and eat all I want. It's the same with um, romantic relationships. It's I have to love a person before I'm, I was willing to sleep with them. That was my purity of intent. Not love them enough that I had to marry them, but I had to know them enough to love them and that I could be with them uh, romantically. And then when, um, but I found, you know, not that I went out with a whole lot of women, I didn't. Um, I went out with a couple, I found that when romantic relationships ended, for me anyway, we didn't stay friendly. And this person was my best friend, and I wasn't willing to trade my best friend in for a roll in the hay, because I was kind of a lonely guy. I mean, if I had more time, I'd tell you how lonely I was, but I don't have the time. And um, because, you know, let go of all my addict friends, I mean, it's kind of lonely. And um, so I went... I heard this guy talk, he was from L.A. actually, and he was talking about it's not enough to know your spiritual actions. You've got to practice the spiritual opposite of them. And he introduced me, he says, what was up for him was lust. Because, you know, there's a lot of sexual energy in these rooms, and uh, he had lost a lot of weight, and the women were hitting on him. And he had to decide what was appropriate behavior for him. For him, he decided that if he knew her first name yesterday, it would be okay to sleep with her today. And I thought that seemed kind of lustful to me, but it didn't matter, see, because what he was doing was holding up a mirror. He was talking about what was going on for him, and it was really helpful for me. It was, I was able to look at that and say, well, does that work for me? And I said, no, that didn't seem right. So I had to go home, and I wrote for about three weeks on what the opposite of lust to him was, which is he called it purity of intent. So what came up for me was that... I, I called Laleen by a Hebrew name. It's a Batya. It's a common Hebrew name, and it means daughter of God. And I, I, um, I knew that. Wrap up. Okay, good. I knew that there's a name for God in my religion called uh, Makom. It means place. It means whatever place you're in, God's there, and that you, you. All you have to do is remember, no matter where you are, what you're doing, God's there with you. And if God's there with you, then maybe you'll look at what you're doing. So I called her Batya. I knew God was in the same room with me, so I figured if uh, if I felt like I could put my hand on her while God was in the room, then it would be okay, you know. And uh, things went kind of slowly, but um, <laughs> that's your life. But I found that an the whole key to me for relationships is not eating, working the steps, finding out who I am, embracing who I am, whether it's the, the dark or the light side of me, just knowing who I am, and then asking God in to help uh, with the areas that I need. So anyway, thanks for letting me share. Please help me introduce our, sec welcome our second speaker, Lorraine. Hi everyone, I'm Lorraine, I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi Lorraine. I've had a cold this week and sometimes my voice has gone out so I'm not sure how it'll go. Um, but I'm glad to be here and um, you know, it's it's a little overwhelming 
to talk. I've been in OA since 1985, and I've been abstinent since 1987. And the longer I'm abstinent, it's kind of like the less I really want to say about it. It, it, because it's just too much. I'd rather just do two minutes on a topic, you know, do my two, three-minute pitch and let it go. But uh, it's also moving to try to do it. Um, and I'm married to this man that I met in Overeaters Anonymous. You might have caught that. And, you know, so I'm 23 years abstinent, and I'm 20 years married to another compulsive overeater, both of us abstinent in that time. And so that's a rather unique thing. I, uh, for, for me, as a member of Overeaters Anonymous, it's like I've celebrated my marriage more in OA than any outside of OA. Because a lot of what it is is about this, uh, it's a, like an AA thing, you know, it's like we met on the AA campus where boy meets girl and if it's correct, you last and if it's not, you blow up, you know, in a big, in a big cloud of smoke usually. Anyway, so it turned, it worked out. It was the correct thing. And I can say that here in AA, in OA, and I, I don't really know what to say outside of here when people might say, well, how'd you meet your husband? Or, you know, like, oh, well, what do you do? You know, it's like, I kind of fudge around it. I don't say too much because it just doesn't fit in that context for me. The context that it fits in is that I was abstinent in Overeaters Anonymous. So, and for me, that means I was always fat. So my highest weight is 60 pounds more than I am now. I didn't come, I was about 50, I've lost, I... Since OA abstinence, I'm 50 pounds less. There's no time since I was a young girl that I wasn't obese. So I don't have an I don't have an experience of like being a normal girl, being a normal anything. I, I don't have that. I have that since being in OA, and I would not be married. Not and I don't really being married. Like who cares? Like, it's not, I mean, I'm I'm happily married, and it's my path, but it was never my goal. I, um, and it wasn't when I was, at, once I was abstinent, it wasn't my goal either. <laughs> really, what I wanted after I was about a year abstinent and I had lost the weight, is I wanted to do some major damage to the guys. I really did. I wanted to make it up. I wanted to burn a road. Like, I wanted you guys... I wanted them to like me, want me, whatever, give me gifts, take me places, and I wanted to not care one bit. I wanted to just walk away from it carrying a bag of gifts. Really, like, that's kind of how I felt, you know. Just just accolades, accolades, and, you know, I, I could care less. Maybe there could be three or five or ten of you standing around, you know. Like, that's, I didn't do that too long because you, if you're really abstinent, like I was really abstinent. And so it was only a short period of time because I saw like that is not abstinent behavior and I'm not. And it wasn't that I really wanted to be different. It's that I did want to be abstinent. And I knew that if I don't do this correctly, I will not be abstinent. And I don't know how anybody can stay in OA very long. Like as after a couple years. I mean, it was very clear to me that issues of dating and relationships, sexuality, like people go out. And when they go out, they go out bad. 
So I'm sitting in my little chair in the OA rooms, you know, and I'm abstinent, and I'm watching people that I admired, you know, that I watched and stuff, and I watched them, like, have these wonderful things happen. It seemed, it seemed like they were happy, you know, they're dating, or they're getting married, or things, it seems good. And uh, within a short period of time, like, they're really destroying themselves. And uh, I, I didn't quite understand it, but I knew that there was more to this stuff than what people were talking about. I just knew that. And so um, I never thought that this is, gonna, this is nirvana. Same as when I lost the weight, I have never thought that that was going to be it. I knew that I'm in trouble. Maybe I didn't know exactly, you know, but I knew like, oh, I, I don't know anything about living like this. Nothing at all. But I wanted it, you know. The thing that I've gotten from Overeaters Anonymous is I got this, I got myself. I got to um, own my own body. I got to find my own voice. Uh, I got the, the possibility of being intimate with another human being. And I know from what I've gone through, because I've gone through all this now abstinence, I, because I know what I've had to go through to become this woman, I would never have come close to it. I would never have come close to it, and I wouldn't even have known what I was missing. That's I come from people who missed it, like we missed it. That's our genetic uh, kind of predisposition. We missed it. The whole game of life, we don't know about it. But we carry on, but we all carry on. Uh, we're obese, we're vomiting, we're cutting ourselves, we're drinking, we're using drugs. we got craziness around money and, and there's a real perversity around sexual stuff, I think for generations. I, don't, I know some of the information, I actually know a lot of the information from my family and I don't care to know any more, thank you. Like I'm just trying, I'm trying to live a happy life, you know, I'm like trying... And I don't need to know. I grew out of the petri dish of darkness. And I don't need to know any more about it. I really need to know what is it, how is it possible to really live in joy? How is it really possible to share your life with another human being and treat each other with kindness? You know, like, it's been a while since Paul and I knew we were going to speak here. And it's really kind of, it's a special thing to share it with my partner you know it's like a, it's a special thing I have in OA because I married my my OA friend 20 years ago so you know I, when I was thinking like well what is it you know what what would I like to say about this and probably the thing that is the most um, moving to me after being married for 20 years and being abstinent in that is kindness that's what I'd say kindness you know like I know when when he is trying to work something out, I can often, I feel this pretty regularly, I feel him turn to me in kindness when he could be irritated with me. You know, or like something could just be a little off. And I feel him turn to me in kindness. And it touches my heart so deeply. I... Um, it's a transformative thing. 
I think it's probably, like I share that with my husband, I think it's probably true in almost anything. If you stay absent long term, anywhere where life kind of turns to you in kindness and you feel that gentle care, it like I never would ever experience anything like that, uh, being an active compulsive overeater. Because the food knocks it out. And then I'm just so afraid on so many levels that I don't even come up close really to another human being. It's just not possible. It's not possible because of the food addiction and then you put 60 pounds on me. I'm really quite different. I'm really quite different. And and then all of my background is from people that are like that. So I don't really, um, you know, I used to, I have much more compassion for me as a fat girl and a fat young woman like, I really don't see how I could have gone any other way. I, I needed it. I needed it. And it served me. And I, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. But not anymore. You know, I, I, uh, I made, uh, in my first year being abstinent, I had an experience with the third step, and uh, that, so that I could almost, if I would have wrote it on the calendar, I could have a date. Like, you have an abstinence date, I could have a third step anniversary date, because it was kind of like that. It was like, I understood, in in the way that you understand in your first year being abstinent, you know, like, but I understood what it was asking of me, and I said yes. I was talking to God, and I said yes. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. That's not any different for me today. It's 23 years later, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I, I hope it's all I know about. And because I know about this, I get to do all kinds of things. And like sometimes people think, wow, you just you just know so much. You know, I don't know shit. I just know. I know how to do the 12 steps. I know how to stay abstinent. I know what that is. I know how to feed myself with dignity, and I have to face that every day. And so I don't, I'm not the kind of eater that has a lot of wiggle room with it. You know, it's like, well, I'm either going to be doing it or I'm not going to be doing it. And it doesn't have to be like so perfect, perfect, but it's like, it's clear. It's clear, and I do it. And um, from that, I have a container from which to live. It, it's got boundaries. I learned a lot about boundaries from my boundaries with food. And I don't give up my boundaries with food because I'm not that strong with the other boundaries. I w and for sure, if I give up the boundaries with food, I will not know the boundaries of other things, especially with people. I will not, not don't have a chance at it. It wasn't there before. It's not like I was just fat and I, and then when I wasn't fat, I had all the, Normal development of a healthy human being. I had hardly any, 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 any. And then I'm like in my mid-30s and people expect that you are an adult. And I wasn't. So I had to stay very close to meetings and the whole framework because I had to grow a person inside of me. And I have. I have grown a person and I'm continuing to grow a person. But it all is about these Boundaries, you know, and if I'm a person that loses boundaries around food, so 
Uh, that's the bottom line. I, I don't have a chance if I'm doing that. And I will lose boundaries about my body. I can, and I can lose those boundaries now. Like, my body stays steady. And I can, like, feel all weird body-wise because of what my first 33 years were with that. But I understand it, and, you know, so I kind of know when it's happening, and I know what to do about all this. And so from this framework, I met this man who I felt I felt love for. And I could tell you the details of that day when I thought I felt love for him because I had never felt that feeling before. So, you know, I'm like 35, 34, and uh, I'm, I'm like, what is this feeling? You know, I'm like this, and it's like, and then I come to, you know, I had this like moment, like, I think I feel love. And I was like, oh my goodness. It's not a feeling I ever had with anywhere in my family. And, you know, like, geez, people will mold themselves to me saying they love me in my family. And there's no experience of love. There's an experience of dependence. There's an experience of complete uh, you know, you know, people completely enmeshed in me and gonna like swallow me whole. That is, and now I've come to know, you know, this is not love. This is not love. So I, uh, the experience of love. This is a human experience. I would have only known about it reading it in books, you know, like romance books and watching the movies and crying. But as far as my own experience of knowing what that is, it. As an active compulsive overeater, I w it would completely have passed me by. I would have associated with some certain food substance, you know, maybe if you can eat two pounds of that. I think that's love, you know, or like uh, that's about where I'm at. And so this human thing, and for me, it's with another, it's a man, which I wouldn't have known that either. Because I really wasn't clear whether I was gay or straight until I really stopped eating compulsively. Then it became very clear. I like men. That was kind of a problem. Because I'm really scared of them. And I kind of hate them. But they're the ones I'm attracted to. Oh, my goodness. So... So this experience, you know, I had, so I had this experience of feeling love for this man, and then because I was re I was really working a strong OA program, which I still work today. It's not any different. It's it's not like uh, I'm working any less. I'm just working on different issues, you know, and I have a lot of consistency with feeding myself abstinently, staying in my body, that stuff. But I'm I'm working it hard, and I don't. I don't mind working it hard. I don't mind. I am a problem person. I would not have any life um, except taking care of other people and eating certain ways, you know, that knock everything out if I didn't have an OA program. So it's all right with me. But so I... <clears throat> You know, my goal wasn't to get married or have a long-term relationship or any of that stuff. I'm not that kind of person. I was the oldest of five. I was kind of a mother in the family. It didn't appeal to me. I didn't grow up seeing anybody in any kind of marriage that wasn't anything except being like kind of in a prison cell. 
So I was, it didn't appeal to me. But this thing happened with this man, and it felt like he was my husband before we got married. That's the word I would use. It's the only word that really applied. And, and then I married him because I thought it was the right thing to do. <laughs> because that's how we were. We were like a married couple, and it just made sense, and we did that. So after I married him, it was a very difficult time for me because issues came up that would never come up. You couldn't have told me they were in me. They came up because I made a legal agreement with this man that I loved, and then I came apart in many ways because I come from violence, abuse, alcoholism, and I made a commitment to a man, and that was like a death sentence. I didn't know that. You know, all this stuff came up inside of me. I felt like prison walls came down around me, and I, I just... I kind of knew it was true, you know, like I, these things, much as they were difficult, they didn't exactly freak me out. I just put the program to them. And I didn't take them to the guy, the poor guy. He would have just died under what I had inside of me. You know, I just would have obliterated our love for each other because the issues were so big in me. And I just, I just worked it and worked it and worked it. And uh, it worked. <laughs> It worked. Uh, you know, I could stay, I could enjoy myself, and I could continue to grow in in learning about how to be in a relationship with another human being, which I had no experience in. And uh, so, and then that brought you know that brought me into my body. I had no experience of real sexual feelings. I had been sexual, but like it was kind of an abusive thing. Not kind of. Let's just say it was very abusive and very awful and actually still one of the things in my life when these things come forward is I it makes me cringe what I did because I felt so bad about myself so and I wasn't in my body so almost anything could happen to it and it didn't register at all and then I'm abstinent and I'm 50 pounds less and geez you even walk by me and it registers you know it's like whoo felt that so and then I'm going to be you know, and then I'm going to be naked in a bed with an, this man, with these, this history. I don't know anything about half the time because, you know, you don't sometimes. See, this is the thing about living absently. It's like it would be nice if we could just sit in the chair and know, oh, it's going to go boom, boom, boom. You can't after a certain time. You have to live life, and then it goes boom, boom, boom. Hopefully not a big boom, boom, because it's really intense. You know, it's like nobody can tell you what it feels like inside to do it and not use and to be in a normal sized body and face these things. So I did these things in my mid thirties and um I had such a I've had such a long experience of uh my sexuality of just wanting to claim it back. At a certain point I just felt there's just too many people in the bed here, you know? Like too many people. I want these people out. And I uh I did real serious step work about this and they're out they're out it's me and him in the bed and it's a beautiful thing and that has taken a tremendous amount of effort on my part it wasn't like my sexuality and my ability to feel joy was naturally there because I was absent or because I lost the weight in fact what I had to face is this is seems very disturbed in me and I have to sort this out. Or I wanted to sort this out. Some things I didn't really know if they would sort out or not. But, you know, we had a real thing between us. We have a real love. 
And so even though some of these things have been difficult, it's all been actually rather enjoyable <laughs> sharing it with this person. It's not like we have to be perfect. It's not. So one of the things, you know, um, when I first moved in with him, I thought I'd never sleep well again. You know, I just thought, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I got nowhere to go. And I, I just don't think I'll ever sleep well again. And that's about what it's going to be like. And now, you know, if I'm not with him, I don't sleep well. But I had this this guy, he used to, um, when he can't sleep, he like rubs my back, or rubs my butt. You know, it's not, it's like I got a magic penny, you know. It's like, can you imagine, like here I am, this fat girl. Now I have this life where I got this man who loves me. And when he can't sleep, he just like really gently rubs me. And sometimes... I have real trauma in my background, and sometimes when I'm going into things, I'll be um, really disturbed with nightmares and kind of cry out in my sleep and stuff. And um, my husband, it wakes him up sometimes when I'm not woken up, and he rubs my back, rubs my butt. You know, he, and in the morning he'll say, gee, you must have been dreaming because you were crying out. And sometimes he gets upset. You know, he says, you, sh- you shouldn't have to be crying out like this. You know, this, I've never, you know, I... I never had anybody stick up for me. You know, like I got parents who cause these problems, and they'll say, well, it didn't happen. Or, oh, Lorene, why don't you get over it? Or, oh, you're so sensitive. And I now I live my life with another man, sleep with him every night, and when I'm disturbed, he just kind of gently rubs me. And I... It doesn't scare me. It doesn't scare me. You know, I'm with him, and it doesn't scare me. Like, hey, you know, these are good things. These are good. These are things we're staying abstinent about. You know, like there is not any amount of cupcakes that did this for me. Nothing. So you know, like sometimes the experience of really being sexual with another human being who really loves you is like one of the most God-given beautiful things in the whole world. And, and you know, it really helps. It really makes the abstinence easier. You know, it, when you really are doing the work, it makes abstinence easier because I'm getting my needs met on so many levels, so many levels. And I have to do so much work to get my need to allow that my needs can be met like this I have to do so much work, and I mostly am just totally glad to do this work, totally glad. And I don't have to explode in my body. Did we? Did I pass my time? Okay. So, you know, now I'm now we're 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 getting old together, me and this guy. It's another period of life. It's really different in some ways. Of like. Um, I can't compare what getting old is to what, how it is for other people because I'm like really joyous and happy and really young in spirit when I was very old when I was a child. So like I'm not exactly moving into the grandma phase. I'm going to be a grandma, but it's like I'm not going to like give this up. 
to take care of other people, especially if it doesn't fit. You know, like if I don't want, if it's not a loving thing, like I'm not moving into dysfunction here now. Like there's people in my family, they're going to crash and burn and they're going to need somebody to take care of them. And I'm not going to be there because I'm not, it doesn't make any difference whether I'm there or not. You know, like addiction, it doesn't, I can give up my life now and it will do nothing for them. But it's a whole different world of like, all right, I'm getting better and better, and uh, they're gonna, they're crashing and burning, and I've got limits around everything, you know. So I'm not gonna give up my money, give up my time, da da da. And uh, it's really a different, different thing. And I chose to not have children, so it's like, wow, how's it going? Gonna go now, you know? How's it? What's this gonna look like? And I'm just going to work a program around it, the whole thing, till I die is my plan. Because I'm not going to go out in any familiar way. I don't know. What is it going to be? I don't know. I don't know. Day at a time. And I share it with another human being. And um, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And if it wasn't that I, however it was going to go, it would still be a beautiful thing. You know, it's not like the relationship made it a beautiful thing. I think it's the abstinence in the program makes anything then if I continue it's a beautiful thing thanks now the speakers will draw questions from the ask it basket where is the ask it basket oh right there and for the remainder of the meeting which is 25 minutes Relationships begun when eating compulsively can survive the transition to an abstinent life. There's always hope. I have no experience one way or the other, but um, I would imagine if both people, <coughs> if both people were moving or growing together, then they have a chance. If one is growing and the other one isn't, I don't know how else to answer that. When you are experiencing resentment or frustration, when the other person is making a demand on you that you are not responsive to, how do you handle your resentment? How do you respect the other's demands, requests in a thoughtful way? Well, I, I come from the, the kind of the old school thing of abstinence is that I'm really not going to make it too long if I carry resentment. So if I'm with a person that's always bringing up resentment, it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. And I really am, I don't go with resentment. If I, so resentment is a, is a red flag, you know. If I'm really continuously resentful, I'm going to have to do something about that. So it's not an issue in my relationship, in my marriage. It's not an issue. I, um, I put my husband equal to me or first often, but I don't do things that I can't do. 
You know, it's just never an issue of like, he wants me to do something that I can't do. It's really not an issue. And it's perfectly fine for me to say, well, I can't really do that today. Like, we aren't like that with each other. It's just, we're, my my description is like, we're very caring. We put each other, we try to help each other. But like, it's we're, I'm not responsible for him. He's not responsible for me. And we're both active addicts. I mean, not, <laughs> we're both addicts, not active. And we both know what that is. It's like, I have responsibility for this. And it's going to come first or else we got nothing. So, um, how do you respect the other's demands, requests in a thoughtful way? I, I, um, I just do. I just do. It, I guess probably what makes it not be so much of a resentment is that I really am okay with saying no. I'm comfortable with saying no. I don't have to get real angry to say no or blame you or anything. I can say no. can't do that right now. And um, I think my I think my partner thinks that I do enough, you know, like that feeling like I do enough, I'm good enough, he's happy with me. <laughs> it's all it's all right. What do you do when your boyfriend starts using Match.com? What do you do when your boyfriend starts using Match.com? He did this several times, and each time I told him he must end it. This time I said, don't call me again. Have I gone nuts? This was a five-year relationship. Um, time doesn't really matter to me. I mean, it's... um. If you can put up with that, then stay with it. And if you can't put up with it, tell them you can't put up with it and leave. I mean, I, and I, I don't know what Match.com is, so it's okay. <laughs> I'd like to say something about that, just in terms of myself and being in a committed relationship with another person, is that if I didn't think I was the most important thing to this person, I wouldn't be there. I don't need less. I, I, it's really not even an issue for me. I'd be like, no, absolutely not. I really, it's hard enough dealing with a relationship long term. It's like if I didn't feel like I am really like the most important person to this man, like, hey, uh, that's, that's like all I'll accept. Okay, what suggestions can you give to help me stop trying to fix my spouse's problems? <laughs> yeah, Al-Anon is it. You know, I think if we don't understand that part of the program, um, it's pretty hard to do long-term relationships is that I, I'm not going to fix anything. So um, I would look at what is it about me? What goes on with me that I think I should fix something? What? Why am I even involved in? Like I would think that would reflect on me that I'm having a problem. Uh, I'm, I'm having a problem. How has program helped you with uh, 
your relationships with your wife and children? I thought I covered that. <laughs> so that's, uh, it was probably written before I got into talking about that. I hope. I know I have a messed up body image. I am divorced and not dating yet. But the thought of having someone touching my imperfect body causes me anxiety. I don't want to be alone the rest of my life either. So any suggestions on how to get comfortable with the idea of someone touching me? Sure. Keep being abstinent. I mean, really, a day at a time, keep being abstinent. There is, um, it doesn't matter where we go, like part of long-term being abstinent is that we must come to love ourselves. It, it's it's just, you won't be staying abstinent unless these things work out. So it's not like you make them work out, but somehow through the inventory, through the step work, through the prayer, it, 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 it works out. I'll tell you a secret. I don't think it's the greatest thing that men look for is to like have this perfect body. I don't think it matters that much. It doesn't matter that much to me. Like, it's just not what love is about. Like, we might be attracted by something like, ooh, look at that, that's really a pretty body. But, you know, it's really, when you really love someone, like, it's just not that important. So really the issues are old issues, usually, I think, issues around abuse and um, violation and that kind of stuff. And it's really our body wherever it is, if we're really working a program and we're clear and present in that, uh, that's a beautiful human being. It's really more the issue of allowing yourself to be a hu beautiful human being, allow it that you can be loved. Like we're, we're like, we still think, well, if I only had this perfect body, then I could be loved. It, it, then you get the perfect body because also in a way you can see people with perfect bodies and they're cutting them up, you know, or whatever, you know, it's like it's not the answer for our illness. Please briefly describe how you balance your primary relationships, spouse, partner, or children, and making your program spiritual, and making your program, parentheses, spiritual program relationships with higher power first in your life. Well, if you want any primary relationships, like with a spouse, a partner, or children, you better put God first, because, uh, well, I better put God first, because I won't be able to deal with my life unless I have God in my life to help me with the problems that come up around them. So my spiritual program is pretty strong. I mean, I, I haven't had a gap in sponsorship since... I haven't, I haven't had a day where I'm not a sponsor of somebody since I was three weeks abstinent. 24 years later. I haven't had a gap in that time. And when I'm with sponsors... Our sponsees, I should say. My sponsor, it's, um, we're studying spiritual things. We're talking about inviting God into our lives around the problems that we're dealing with. And when we do that, it just, it's contagious, I guess. Yeah. 
do you have any experience with or advice for not growing apart from a partner who is not in recovery and not willing to actively seek help? I don't have any experience with it, um, and I don't really, I don't have advice. <laughs> what I have is the same stuff I've been saying, work the, you know, like I would just, I have to stay abstinent, and and if I'm going to continue to truly stay abstinent, I will have to face everything in my life, and I would think if I'm with somebody who doesn't, who's an active addict in some way, or or doesn't want to grow spiritually, like at some point I will I will get what I'll need to do because I, I'll the food will call. And if I don't go to the food, I will have to find the courage. And I'll do that by the inventory work, whatever, but it, eventually it will come to the surface. What do I need to do or what do I need to say? And I live that way. Like, it can't... Like, you can't get too many of those red flags like, you got mail, you got mail, you got... You know, not too many of them can go by, and I'm not going to have some change in my relationship with food. So I listen, I listen, and then I have to see, oh, I thought it was going this way, but look at, I got to deal this. And I that's how I live my life. I don't, like, figure it out in my head. It's like day to day, and a lot of times I think it's going this way, and uh, and the information that comes is, oh, i got to take care of this. So um, I don't think we have to worry too much about stuff coming up. If I stay abstinent, if there's anything that has to come up, it will come up, and then I do what I have to do with it. How much time do we have left? Well, I have a question. What do you do when your spouse has, like, junk food in the, in the house and you want it? <laughs> Paul, do you know? <laughs> uh, let's see. What would I do? I, I you know, I, well, first I'd ask God to help not eat it, but I, I would... Um, if it bothered me, um, first of all, we eat pretty abstinently and there's no junk food in my house, but if there were junk food in my house and it was a problem for me, I'd explain it to my, I'd explain it to Lorene and she wouldn't bring it into the house because, because I know she loves me and she wants me to be who I can be and if I'm going to be who I am, it isn't going to be eating junk food. And so, uh, um, yeah, it's sort of like a, sort of like an oxymoron. Someone who loves me isn't going to bring junk food into my house if I can't handle junk food. So I would just tell him. So I really don't know what to do now. We have a few minutes left. Any suggestions?
isn't that a wonderful thing, you know, that I'd have even anything? Her question was if I could describe what love feels like. You know, I felt it as a sense of energy inside of me. Like there was a sense, I think it's a sen- it felt like a sense of joy. And I felt like there was something alive. Like something was happening with this person. And I, it, gave, it made me squirm. And, and um, so <laughs> all the things that are written about, like, and, you know, that we like to watch in the movies and read in the books, like, it's all true. I, when I was active, compulsive reader, I used to, it, and then my own experiences of, of whatever, what I had of dating and sexuality were so miserable and dark that, you know, like, I always kind of thought, well, what's the big deal about this word love? But um, there really is a big deal about it. It's a human experience, and um, and it really is something that's unique, I think, to us as human beings. And I definitely think active compulsive overeating completely knocks it out. So it's a feeling of energy and movement. And if for me, as being an active compulsive overeater, I'm stopping all that. The food substances stop all that. So I would have no idea about it. Also, how that started for me was for very good reason, because what happened to me and my family in the words of love was very hurtful. It hurt me. I mean, if that was what love is, I could go the rest of my life without having it. Like, that's what I came from, really. In the name of love, you were just like, they stole your soul. So it's quite, um, so to be abstinent, to drop, in my case, I had weight, so to drop the weight. And then these things just come alive. They can be quite frightening because many of us have really been abused in the name of love. And I mean like really severely abused. So it's quite a challenge. And um, nothing that the 12 steps in our fellowship can't handle. Does anybody else have a question they want to throw out? What did you do to get past the fear of that, um, that feeling of attraction? Um, maybe you didn't experience it, but I should just say in my relationship, I lost weight once and um, I started feeling like I went flirting with everybody and I didn't want to lose my relationship, so I gained the weight back. Uh, some of the, the question is, what do you do when you um, you lose the weight and you just start flirting and dating with everybody, and you have to gain the weight back, and so you don't lose your primary relationship? I, I just think it's a very common issue. I think a lot of us, what I've seen it over the years, is that a lot of people put the weight back on uh, to not have to deal with sexuality, and like we don't know how to control it, we don't know limits and boundaries around it, so. If we could just be honest about that in a way, like we don't know how to do this. Like we're going to get thin if we're fat or normal weight or whatever, and we're not going to know what to do about a lot of stuff. If that would be understood, then you'd know. You start flirting all the time. Hey, you got to stop. Got to stop. Got to go to meetings every day just like I was a newcomer, but not pick up the food. 
like not pick up the food and see, well, what is this about? And then the next thing, well, what is this about? Because that's really what the process is here. Not like we do one or two years and then, hey, we're just happy, joyous, free. Dance down the street. No, no, no. We, um, we crash and burn really bad. Yeah. Are we out of time? Or? Another question? Yeah? You want to take it? So the question is, how did I get all those other people out of the bed? I wrote a four-step. I was about 10 years abstinent, and I wrote a four-step on sexuality. And I wrote, I asked someone to sponsor me at that time, and I wrote everything. I started in the beginning of my life, and I wrote everything that I thought happened to me about sexuality, things that I don't even know if they happen. I don't know if they're true or not. I just wrote it all, free form, all the way from the beginning up to the present. And then I did a fifth step, and when I gave this away to this woman, like nothing moved in me. Like I, I, I have a lot of experiences with fifth steps. I have a lot of feelings that come off, and I cry. I did this thing, and like I felt like a stone inside. So I was like really disappointed because I thought, oh no, not gonna do it. Not gonna happen. And my sponsor, she had a lot of response to what I wrote. You know, like she was like limping a little, and I'm like boom but again the experience sometimes of what the sponsor kind of uh, mirrors back to you it really helps and a year later it was about a year later because I had this real I, I it, it was very clear to me um, I was in a, another country with my husband and I had this experience with him and it was all gone and I was like it's changed it was a year, and I couldn't wait to get back to here to call this woman and say, it's changed, it's changed, you know. So, like, that's my experience long term is there's some things that uh, now I don't get the results necessarily right away, I, but I absolutely know it works, and I'll just do the work. And I get as honest as possible, and I ask people to hear it. I don't hold it in. And I don't just hang out with people I'm comfortable with in the program. You know, I'll just, I'll ask somebody who I think, you know, like has that a spiritual base that can hold it or whatever to do the fifth step work with, and I, I just do it. Yes. Yes, I, I, did, I did the rest of the, the steps with it, yes. Yes, the amends have always been to myself. Since I was 10 years abstinent, now I've got about 13 years amends to myself. Thank you very much. Uh, they're, they've been long-term, and um, they have needed a lot of attention. I showed up in front of her 
I told my truth, she seemed to like me. What's not to trust? I mean, you know, I mean, if this is me, what do you think? And then she said, uh, you know, it seemed to be okay. I, I can't say that I trusted him. I trust him now. Absolutely. For many years. It may, I could maybe even see it, say it's more of a recent thing, the level of trust I have for him right now. It, it doesn't matter. I trust God. I trust the process of the 12 steps. I, I really did come to that. That was kind of part of, in that third step experience. Like, I trust this. I'm going to live by this framework. What people do or don't do to me is not that important. Like, I, I felt like he was not going to hurt me. But even if he did hurt me, I'm, I'm going to deal with it. You know, like, I, um, I trust the process of the 12 steps. And that gives me the courage. At a certain point, you really have to take risks. You won't stay abstinent. Like, you just can't. I can't just sit in my room thinking about dating, you know, and, like, writing letters to God. You know, it's like, I got to I gotta do it. Because, not because I got to do it. I got to do things. Maybe it's not dating. Maybe it's something else in life. I got to do it because if I don't do these things, I'm not going to stay abstinent. I have to have a fuller life. I have to risk having a fuller life. Now it's time to close. And I just wanted to say that that was just awesome. Like, I wanted a part two. You know, like you read a book, I want to get to the next chapter, so I'm going to have to keep coming back. So let's thank all who served, especially our speakers. And please help me join hands for those who want to, to um, for the OA Promises.